Good morning. Our reading this morning is taken from Genesis, chapter 11, beginning at verse 27, through to chapter 12, verse 9. It can be found on page 13 in the Church Bible. So Genesis 11, beginning at verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. be a great help if you can have uh, that passage uh, open in front of you on page uh, 13 of the P Bibles. They're there in the... Uh, uh, seats in front of you. I wonder what's brought you here today. Uh, I have the enormous disadvantage that this is my first Sunday, and so I know almost none of you. I'm looking forward so much to getting to know you, uh, but it might be that you don't normally come here, and that moved by uh, the death of Her Majesty the Queen, you've come looking for something, perhaps just a chance to uh, pay your respects, but perhaps for something else. After all, I think when we're faced with grief, 
we find ourselves asking questions that we manage to avoid most of the rest of the time. It should be, in one sense, we would expect the most natural thing in the world to see people die. It has happened through all of human history. In many ways, it's how we got to be here. Generations have come and gone, and now it's our turn. But in my experience, and the experience of most people that I have walked with through their grief is that there is something very strange, very wrong about death. Even the death of someone of so great an age as Her Majesty the Queen, there is that sense that this is not how it should be. There's something wrong with the world. It doesn't feel right. Even though rationally we know it is the ageless pattern of human life when it comes, at least when it comes close, it is brutal and we hate it and it feels wrong. Why is that? Well, we're beginning a series This morning, in the very first book of the Bible, we're not beginning at the very beginning, but this chapter sort of links the next part of the story with what went before. Now, it may be that you know nothing at all uh, about the Bible and about the book of Genesis, but you may be familiar with some of the ideas that we find in the first 11 chapters. The idea of forbidden fruit. What the Bible tells us about the world and why death feels like such an imposter and such an enemy is that God made this world to be a perfect home in which the people he made in his own image, bearing something of his likeness, of his dignity, having a value and a significance that is second only to his, he put them in this world to enjoy his rest his blessing and his joy forever. Death was not part of life at the beginning. But the first man and the first woman that God made, he warned them that there was this one tree in the garden. And in a sense, it was a tree that represented his prerogative as God, as creator, And he said, don't eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, you will die. But I guess you know what happened next. They reached out. They took the fruit from that tree. They thought, what does God know? We can be God for ourselves. And they ate. And as they ate... Reality began to unravel. They were cast out of the garden that had been their home. Cut off from and alienated from the God who made them. When he came looking for them in the garden, the man and the woman just hid, trying to escape his presence. And as time went on, 
they died and their children died and their children's children died. Death had come into the world and it was not going away. Human beings were alienated from God, cast out of their home, at each other's throats, and heading for the grave. So that as God passed judgment on Adam, he said to him, you are dust, and to dust you will return. It's no wonder that when someone close to us or someone as significant as the queen dies, we hear in our own hearts the echoes of our lostness, of our alienation, of the, of the fact that there is something wrong with the world. Things are not as they should be. We're not home. We're not at rest. We're not at peace. And the story of the book of Genesis through the next 11 chapters is a story of that unraveling of reality, of that coming into the world of death and the pain that comes with trying to live without God. And just before uh, this story of Abraham comes another story you may have heard of, the story of the Tower of Babel. Just listen to what the people of Babel say to each other about their great building project. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This great project based on human technology is to win back for ourselves a home. You notice the two things they're looking for. We will make a name for ourselves. We'll give ourselves significance. We'll be a people. We won't be scattered over the face of the earth. We'll have permanence. We'll have a place. Human beings attempt by their own efforts to achieve for themselves the rest that was lost when they were expelled from God's garden in Eden. But if you'd been following the story so far, you won't be surprised to know what happens next. It is a colossal failure. It results in the people being scattered over the whole earth. Their language is being confused so that they can't understand each other. They're no longer one people. They're no longer in one place. They're scattered. And that place is given the name Babel, which means confusion. Babel. They seek a name and a place, and they lose both. And now onto the stage steps Abraham. A descendant of those very same people from the same place. Ur of the Chaldeans is near Babylon, the supposed site of Babel. Certainly from the same region that we today call Mesopotamia. And God calls Abraham. And what does God say to Abraham? He says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to take you to a land that I will make your home. And I will make you into a great nation. That's verse 2. And I will make your name great. That's also verse 2. 
I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This moment when Abraham steps onto the stage of history is a turning point. To this point, everything has been downhill. Everything has represented that unraveling of reality as human beings have turned away from their creator, the one who gave them meaning and place and hope and rest. But now with Abraham, God begins to show the way home. He promises Abraham all the things that the people of Babel were longing for, all the great, deep desires of the human heart, the desire for a place, for a people, for significance, a name, for blessing. And the desire perhaps that we bury deepest of all, a desire for a relationship with God. So in verse 3, when God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses those, whoever curses you, I will curse. It sounds, doesn't it, initially like a bum note. It's all been joy to that point. What God has been promising Abraham has all been so positive, And then all of a sudden there's this talk of cursing. But it's the language of ancient covenants. When kings came together and swore to be friends, what they said to each other was, your friends will be my friends and your enemies will be my enemies. And astonishingly, God says to Abraham, your friends will be my friends and your enemies will be my enemies. He binds himself in an unbreakable relationship with Abraham and says, I offer you myself. He promises him that deepest longing of the human heart. A relationship with his maker. All relevance does all of that have to us. Well, Abraham represents the beginning of God's promise to make everything that has gone wrong right. Just think again about the story of Babel. Think about uh, what it represents Human attempts to achieve what we in English call utopia, heaven on earth. If you think for a moment about the life of Queen Elizabeth and what she saw in history in the nations around. There were three particularly major and significant human attempts to achieve utopia in the 20th century. They were spearheaded by Joseph Stalin, Chairman Mao, and Adolf Hitler. All three promised that through technology and a reordering of society and a positioning of a great man and an identity as a great people, that some kind of paradise on earth could be achieved. And yet each time, the result was catastrophe. Purges, gulags, famines, and eventually even the gas chambers. We just cannot do it for ourselves. And one of the wonderful things about the Queen is that she understood that and lived as if that were true. She followed in another story, the story of Abraham. 
In those first three verses of Genesis 12, what you might notice is that there's a word that's repeated five times. It's the word bless. God says, I'll bless you. I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What you might not know is that five times in the preceding 10, 11 chapters, God has pronounced curses on humanity and on the world because of that turning away from him and in on ourselves. It has brought a curse. But in answer to those five curses, God pronounces five blessings over Abraham. He's going to make it all right. And those longings for a home and a people and significance and ultimately for God will be met through these promises that God makes to Abraham. And so his story that we begin today represents the beginnings of humanity's journey home to the God who made us and to the rest that he prepared for us. So what do we learn from Abraham and his response in this story? We pick it up in verse 4. In verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, go. It's the imperative form of the verb, and imperative means command. God uses this word go as a command. In verse 4, we get the same word again, but not as a command, but as an action. God said go, Abraham went. But what was the go that God said to Abraham? Look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. God says, go and leave behind you all the things that represent what you're longing for and what I'm promising to give you. Your land, your people, your family, the things that promise to deliver what your heart yearns for, significance, permanence, a home, a people. God says, Abraham, what you need to do is leave those things and trust me for what I will give you. I will give you a land. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And through you, I will bless all the peoples of the world. I'm going to turn this upside down world back the right way up. I'm going to make what is broken whole. I'm going to bring blessing into a world full of curses. And Abraham, what you've got to do is trust me. So go, believing that I will give all that I have promised. And verse 4, Abraham went. And that, friends, is faith. 
Faith is a word that we use in so many different ways and understand uh, probably in just as many different ways and contexts. And I don't know what you think faith is. Uh, the writer Mark Twain put it pithily, didn't he, when he said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. But God says to Abraham, trust me. And his faith, his trust, is seen in his obedience to God's command. He lives as though God will keep his promise. And so he puts himself in God's hands. He doesn't try to take the future in his own. The people of Babel think they can build a paradise for themselves. Abraham knows that only by God's grace, only God can give back what has been lost. And so he puts his faith, his trust in God and goes God's way. God takes him into the land. You could see in uh, verse uh, 5 that they get to Canaan. And that could be the end of the story, couldn't it? Except the Canaanites are there. It's just the beginning. As Churchill said, it's not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it might just be the end of the beginning. Well, that is what the story of Abraham represents. The end of the beginning. The point at which Things stop going downhill and light starts to dawn in a dark world. And God begins to show the way home. And so the very next thing that happens in verse 6 and verse 7 is a wonderful little picture of what is going on with Abraham. He travels through the land as far as the great tree of Morah at Shechem. That time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring... I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. No one has had an appearance of God in Genesis uh, since the Garden of Eden. People have heard him speak, but no one has seen him. But now suddenly God appears. This God who has promised friendship to Abraham turns up and speaks with him face to face. And where does he do it? Do you notice? Look down. Where does he see it? Where does he do it? At a tree. A tree is where it all went wrong. That tree from which Adam and Eve took a fruit forbidden to them and ate it. But now at this great tree, probably an oak in Shechem, Abraham bows his knee to the God who appeared to him. He builds an altar. He worships. He says, yes, you are God and I am not. And that, my friends, is the picture of faith. To trust God's promises because you believe God really to be God. Abraham never owned any land in Canaan apart from the tomb in which he was buried his story was fulfilled generations later as one of his descendants known to us as Jesus also met with God at a tree 
willingly dying, willingly suffering the exile that is rightfully ours and was rightfully Abraham's. But to be honest, that's another story for another day. But it's vital that we understand that, that Abraham is both a picture of the salvation that God is bringing into the world, but is also just like us. Someone who puts their trust in the promises of God, not himself a saviour, yet through him salvation was brought into a dark world. He is a model for us of what faith looks like. Obeying the God who speaks, listening to his word, and living as though it were true. So I'd like to read you these verses from the book of Hebrews, right towards the end of the Bible. A reflection on Abraham's whole life, of which we'll hear much more in the coming weeks. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. It's by faith, by trusting in the promises of God, walking into the unknown, abandoning the things that Abraham would have gathered to himself to convince himself that he was home, that he was safe, that he mattered. He let go of those things and put his trust in God. You see, I think that's the point at which this really begins to pinch for us. It pinches for me and perhaps it pinches for you. There are so many things in this world that we are tempted to imagine could give us what our hearts long for. Family. If I could just find the right person to give my heart to, then I'd be fulfilled. Then, then life would make sense. Then somehow I'd be at home and at rest. Place. If I could just own my own home. If I just had enough in the bank, I would be safe. I'd not need to worry anymore. I wouldn't live anxiously from paycheck to paycheck or from payout to payout. Somehow, I would be safe. I would be home. And yet this week, the richest woman in the world, who owned territory on every continent, who had the best medical care possible, a family gathered around her, Died. We know, don't we, that those things, even though they offer so much, in the end cannot deliver. It is only the God who made promises to Abraham who can meet the deepest longings of our hearts. And so in 2011, speaking to a gathering of Commonwealth leaders, Queen Elizabeth quoted an Aboriginal proverb. 
that read as follows. We are all visitors to this time, this place. We're just passing through. Our purpose here is to observe, to learn, to grow, to love. And then we return home. And this week she's returned home. She understood that the wonderful things of this life, the blessings, the great goods that we enjoy are not ours to keep. There is only one kind of permanence and it is the permanence that God offers us at home with himself. Now perhaps you already know the joy and the hope of putting your trust in God and knowing that that is your home. Yet for so many of us who do believe those things, it is easy for our gaze to drift to things nearer at hand whose promises are more immediate. Let us remember with our queen who now stands in the presence of her king whom she served so faithfully that all those things will pass. None of them will satisfy. And if you don't yet know that joy, the joy of a home that is promised, a God that is faithful, a future that is certain, can I invite you, please, keep coming back. Let's learn together from Abraham. Let's see in the story of his life how God has intervened in this broken world with certain promises to make it whole and in due course to make us whole in his presence forever. I'm going to suggest we take just a moment to be quiet and to reflect uh, and then Clive will come and lead us in prayer.